You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. If you're here for the first time, I love the fact at our church that every week there's new faces, there's people wandering off the street or maybe visiting our church for the first time or maybe, maybe having not gone to church for a long time, just coming back to see what, what God might have for them. And so um, if you are in that boat, welcome. We love, we love, love, love having you here with us. You're coming in at week number eight of ten in a series, uh, as I say, that's been covering... The, this, this idea of spiritual gifts, what they are and how, uh, and how, they, should be, um, how they should be exercised in this local church, in our church in 2019. And um, this morning, as Sarah's told you already, we're getting to chapter 14, to the first few verses, and this is where Paul's going to introduce the gift of prophecy. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But before we get there, I wanted to just go back through the kind of logical flow of, of where Paul has been taking us as we've moved from chapter 12 through chapter 13 and now to chapter 14. Here's, here's, his kind of, here's the logic that's got us where we are today. First of all, he says in the very first verse of chapter 12 that he doesn't want that church in Corinth that he's writing to, he doesn't want them to be unaware when it comes to spiritual gifts. Now, he knows, and he's going to go on in, he did go on in chapter 1 to say that the, these Christians in Corinth, that they don't lack any spiritual gift. So when he's talking about them not being unaware, he's not talking about them not, as if they don't understand what spiritual gifts are, like um, that, that, they, that this is a new concept for them. No, they know about them. They are vigorously exercising them. And what he's trying to share with them is wisdom about how to exercise them. He knows they're doing it, but they're not doing it well, or they're not doing it right, or they're not doing it in love, as we're going to see, and as we saw last week. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware. And this has been our sort of mandate for having this, this series in the first place. We can preach about all kinds of things, but the mandate we have for going through this is this one, that Paul, that God through Paul doesn't want the church in Corinth nor the church in Caroline Springs to be unaware when it comes to spiritual gifts. And then he goes on, verse 7, he says, now he wants them to know that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to every believer. This is, this is in order to cut out this idea that perhaps they have in Corinth that the, the really the super Christians, they're the gifted ones, and the rest of us are just making up the numbers. No, he says, everyone, each person has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. That is, that spiritual gifts are a manifestation of God himself in us. Not something that he just doles out from up in heaven, but something that he, he is doing in us. A manifestation of his spirit is given to each person and the purpose of these gifts are for the common good. They're designed to encourage, to strengthen, to edify God's people. And then he goes on in the next couple of verses, verse 8 to 10 of, of chapter 12, he says, these gifts include some miraculous things. The, these gifts are not just limited to the more, um, more functionary or the more uh, familiar things like administration or leadership or g- gifts in that sense, but some, some of these gifts are 
miraculous, messages of wisdom and knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, gifts of miracles, gifts of prophecy and of tongues and of interpreting tongues, that is languages, spiritual languages. So it says everyone's been given a gift. Some of those gifts are miraculous and hard to understand or maybe threatening or scary. And then he says, no matter how we have been gifted, all of that gifting is designed by God. So he says we're different by design. Remember in chapter 12 and verse 17 to 18, he says that um, if the whole body were an eye, that is, if the whole church had one gift, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He says, as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body, that is, each person in the church, along with their giftedness, just as he wanted. So there is this unity and diversity. There is this beautiful, what, what's meant to be this beautiful symphony that's brought about by each member being different as they are, designed to be different, working together for the edification, the building up of the body. And then he goes on to say that actually all these gifts that are so important that I don't want you to be unaware of, that that I really want you to get and to exercise, these gifts are going to cease. A time will come where the, the spiritual gifts don't function anymore. And so he says in chapter 13, he says, Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. Tongues, they will cease. Knowledge, it will come to an end. We know in part. We prophesy in part. In verse 10, he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So he's saying gifts are going to cease, but they're not going to cease until the perfect comes. That is, until Jesus comes again to restore all things, to make things perfect. Gifts will continue until we, are, until we know God as we are fully known. That is the experience of our relationship with God in a new creation where all things have been made right, everything has been restored and redeemed. When that comes, we won't need these gifts anymore. But until it comes, he urges us to both desire and to exercise these spiritual gifts. And then finally, as we saw last week, he says... All of that being the case, while I'm urging you to exercise these gifts and to understand them and to and 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 to not be unaware of them, he he says, unless love is the driving motivation of your exercise of these gifts, then you're wasting your time. And we dwelt on this at length last week, right? He says, for example, in verse 2 of chapter 13, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can remove mountains or move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So even if you can imagine the most gifted, spiritually gifted man or woman possible, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, faith strong enough to move Where's our nearest mountain? I know we have Mount Cotterill, but that's, that's basically, I think it's not quite as high as our church. So wherever, Mount Dandenong. Even if I had faith to take Mount Dandenong and move it to Ainsbury, if I had that kind of faith without love, I would be nothing. Not just the gifts, but me. 
So without love, all this talk about gifting is a waste of time. Without love as the main motivator, the driving force, all of the exercise of these gifts is a waste of time. Which brought us to our meme, my little favourite meme from last week. Hey! That's basically where Paul is arriving at now. In our passage this morning, he says, yes, yes, everything I've said about gifts being useless without love is true, but why don't we have both? And so if you take a look at chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, yes, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Why can't we have both? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Those two things need to go together. He's giving us a a commandment here. This is an imperative. So when you think about the commands of the Bible, you need to add this one to those commands. Pursue love. If you believe that as a Christian you've been commanded by God to pursue love, then you need to know the other part of the command, which is to desire spiritual gifts. And then we get to the other part of that verse, which brings us into this topic, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. So we have a command here from God given to each one of us this morning, each one of us here who would call themselves a Christian, who would call themselves and seek to be submissive to God's word as their final authority. We have a command here from God to pursue love, to desire spiritual gifts, and especially above all else, above every other kind of gift, we are to desire, to yearn for, to be eager to prophesy. Now, I, if you've been around any length of time, you'll know that I take the commandments of God in his word very seriously and I preach them like their commandments. Not like their suggestions, but like their commandments. And this is another commandment. And it's one that I think we need to hear clearly and respond to as submissive servants of our Lord. He's just told us something. He's just given us an imperative, and it's imperative that we not just hear it, but respond to it. And I say this to you as someone who has spent most of their Christian life disobeying this commandment. Partially out of naivety, actually probably mostly out of naivety, but disobeying nonetheless. Ignorant of the force of this commandment and the necessity of, me, of, of my response to it, but disobedient nonetheless. I spent six months studying 1 Corinthians in its original ancient Greek, and I still didn't get this. Something so clear, something that Paul has been building up to, that we've been following along with, right, for the last eight weeks, building, 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 and here he gives it to us. And still ignorant, and still disobedient. So if ever you've thought to yourself, yeah, I understand the spiritual gifts thing and even the prophecy thing, but, but, 
but the way you've understood it is kind of, well, some churches go after those things and other churches go after other things. And, and, and so our, our church, we're good at, you know, like Bible study and some of those churches, they're good at prophecy and those other churches are good at social justice. None of that can be true because we're given imperative to do all of those things. And it's not imperatives given to this church or that church and we kind of make it up as we go along in a sort of patchwork kind of fashion. No, it's to all Christians for all time. So let let me just, let's let Sam Storms lay it down for us. Here's what he says. This is not, chapter 14, verse 1, this is not a suggestion or mere advice or wise counsel. This is a divine command, a mandate from God himself. If you and I are not earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, we are disobedient. This is not an issue for prayer. You do not respond to this passage by saying, well, okay, I'll pray about it. No. You don't pray about whether or not you are going to obey God. God is not giving us a choice. He's giving us a command. The only choice you have is whether or not you are going to obey. And I think that's the weight that we need to feel. Before we get into the, the particulars of prophecy, and I know it can be, I know it can be confusing, and how, how does this actually play out in the church? And I, and I know, and I can tell you ahead of time, it's messy, and there's dangers and pitfalls. Some of you ex- experienced those dangers and you've experienced it where it's gone wrong. The fact is that we need to come to terms with the imperative before we get to the details. So let me say again, God is saying to us, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts and especially that you may prophesy. Now, I just want to tell you ahead of time that this sermon is kind of a a two-part little mini-series within the the bigger series on spiritual gifts. And it's in two parts because next week we're going to look at the gift of tongues. And and you can't talk about prophecy without talking about tongues and vice versa because this whole chapter, chapter 14, Paul intertwines the two gifts together kind of inseparably. Now, we've had to separate them because I could talk for a couple of hours. I'm pretty sure there'd be no one left by the end of it, okay? Maybe my family just sitting here wishing they had a different family, all right? But that's why we have, to, we have to divide it up a little bit. We're going to get to next week, we're going to get to more of the how-to when it comes to prophecy and, spirit, and, and uh, tongues, interpretations of tongues, different kinds of tongues, all of that stuff. Here I just want to look more at the the what. What is this? Okay? So what is prophecy? I I distinctly remember when I first came across this whole idea of prophecy that my, what I knew from just from from the world around me was that prophets um, predicted the future. Nostradamus, right? He was a prophet, and that's mainly what prophecy is about. They can tell us, you know, I don't know, future events. Apparently there are prophets that could have told you that Donald Trump was going to be the president of the United States, right? And, and, and there is, an, there is a, a, 
a part of that that's true. We're going to see an example of that a little bit later from the book of Acts, right? But as far as 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 goes, and this is the most thorough exposition of this issue of spiritual gifts and of prophecy itself, um, here's a little summary that I got from Andrew Wilson, who did his PhD thesis on the book of 1 Corinthians. Here's what he says. If we look at 1 Corinthians on its own terms, we see the purpose of prophecy. It is given to encourage, console, and edify believers in the local church. You can see that in verse 3 of chapter 14. We'll look at these passages in just a second. It brings unbelievers under conviction, 14.24. Witnesses to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the assembly, that is in the, in the church, gathered, 14.25. And enables the congregation to learn and be encouraged, 14.31. So let's just look at some of those verses and see what they say about, about prophecy. So verse, chapter 14, verse 3. He says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies, and again, all of this is intertwined with tongues. So he's saying, unlike tongues, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who prophesies speaks to people. So here we're getting a bit of a definition going. The person who prophesies speaks to people for, for the purpose of, so that they would be strengthened, encouraged, and consoled. And again, in verse 31 of our chapter, he says this. You can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. So there's, there's definitely, you know, these purpose clauses, right, the so that, there's definitely a big element here in prophecy of encouragement, of edification, of consolation. That seems to be one of the major purposes of prophecy. Now, I think what we need to do, and, and, and this will be God's work in the coming weeks and months and years, we need to demystify some of this stuff. Because as soon as you start talking about prophets or prophecy, for some of us, depending on where we've come from, we do what the Corinthians do, did and, and sort of think, well, in order to do that, there must be some kind of magic Holy Spirit dust that's sprinkled on those people. But actually, he's saying to the whole church, to everyone in it, you should all desire to prophesy. And sometimes this can look very plain. It can look very mundane. I remember distinctly, and, I, and when I say distinctly, I don't remember much of the detail, so that doesn't make any sense. But I do remember the event distinctly of um, Randy in a service. It must have been a few years ago. But in the sharing time, he just got up, and I could see he was full of something. Like, he was, he was eager to speak in a way that Randy's not normally eager to speak up in front of everyone, all right? He's kind of a shy kind of guy. But he, was, he took that microphone, and he was just buzzing. And, he, and, and what he told us, and again, I don't, know, I don't remember the specifics, but it was massively encouraging about what he thought God was doing here among us by his spirit. And when I spoke to him afterwards, he said, you know, even if we didn't have the sharing time, I was just going to get up and get the microphone because I just had to share what I felt like God was saying to me for our church. 
Now we can get to the, the policy of how we might share with one another next week, and we will get to that. And I don't like the word policy, but, you know, the pathway for people to do that. But the point was he had what he believed was a word of encouragement for the church that had been revealed to him by God. Sounds like prophecy to me. And the point is that God can gift and equip anyone in the church at any time to do whatever he has called them to do. We've talked about this over and again. Some people might walk and exercise and and move and and minister in this gift for for a length of time, maybe their whole life. Other people will be gifted in a moment for a purpose and then the gifting leaves them. We see this very often with gifts of healing and faith. But it's, in, it's to encourage, it's to edify, it's to console. And then in, in verse 24 and 25, we get this amazing kind of vision of what might happen when, when, when and, and you've heard this before, but maybe like me, you had divorced it from its context, which is prophecy, all right? So here's, here's what Paul says, verse 24 and 25 of chapter 14. He says, if all are prophesying, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. I've dreamed of that situation happening in our church. Someone coming from outside with no Christian background, maybe even kind of opposed to the things of God, coming in here, seeing the gifts of God being exercised, specifically the gift of prophecy, having the the secrets of their heart revealed, and, and that is coming to the conclusion that these people could only be saying what they're saying if God is real and he knows me. And the result is them falling on their face, proclaiming, as they worship God, God is really among you. And we talked a little bit about this specific use of prophecy when we were talking about words of knowledge and words of wisdom, all right? And I, I read you a couple of examples of, of, of Charles Spurgeon's ministry and, uh, and uh, the weird fact that he probably, like most of the, the preachers of his day in the, in the 19th and 20th century, they were mainly cessationists, didn't really believe that the gifts of the Spirit were being exercised uh, anymore, and yet he had and exercised this amazing gift of prophecy. Let me just read you one example, reread you, because we've been through this before. But this is from his autobiography. He says, While preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, There is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning. He took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. And then the man subsequently explains, I did take nine pence that day, and four pence was just the profit, but how he should know that, I don't know. Then it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. So I shut up my shop the next Sunday. At first I was afraid to go again to hear him, lest he should tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went, and the Lord met with me and saved my soul. That's exactly this. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 to 25. And the gift of prophecy here, not just being used to encourage the church, but in an evangelistic sense to bring people to faith for the first time. So here's part of the definition. Prophecy is revelation. Prophecy is revelation. That is, it is something that is revealed by God that we wouldn't otherwise know. It's something revealed to the heart and mind of the believer spontaneously. Something that God brings to mind that comes with the kind of of force that this is something that has been revealed by God that I now need to share in love for the purpose of encouragement and edification. Over the years, sometimes people have equated prophecy with preaching or with teaching, that prophecy is merely taking God's word and making it known to people. That's my tribe. That's my reformed background. That's the way they've seen it. I disagree. I think those two things are different things and different giftings. And Paul kind of says as much in this chapter, in in verse 26 of chapter 14, he says, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, so this is what's going on now. We're coming together. This is the assembly. This is the ecclesia, the gathered people of God. When you come, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. He's emphatic about this. The whole purpose of the gifts are that they are demonstrated and practiced and exercised in love for the encouragement and edification of the church. Sometimes that might be a hymn someone wants to sing. Sometimes it might be a teaching from the scriptures. Sometimes it might be a revelation or another tongue or an interpretation. But all of those things have the same purpose, which is for encouragement. So it's revelation. It's something that God reveals. Sometimes that might look like a word of knowledge. So I'll tell you, just this week, this past week, I had this experience. And it just encouraged me more and more to encourage you to, to, to desire these gifts. I got on the phone with a bunch of pastors who I know, and I just said, you guys just have to, I, I just want to encourage you, please ask that God would gift you because our job is impossible apart from God gifting us for it. So I was going to this meeting. I knew that I was going to meet with someone who was struggling. They, had sort of really, they were really struggling in their Christian faith. They had had this sort of very strong growth period after making a recommitment to Christ, and now they were plateauing, and there was a real cynicism that had crept in where there was faith and joy and, and belief. And I didn't know what was driving that. And so I spent the time, I did leave it late, but I spent the time driving to meet with that person, asking God, saying to God, I don't know what's going on. I know something is going on. There's something wrong here. I don't know what it is. Please give me a word of knowledge. Please give me a prophetic insight into this situation. And I was hoping for, like, chapter and verse and 10 dot points and all I got was this one phrase and it was a a phrase from scripture but it was one phrase in isolation I was like that is not going to help me in this situation so I spent no word of a lie I spent an hour talking with this guy trying to find out what was really going on with with nothing coming of it 
And I was only meeting with him for an hour. I was like, no, oh, dang it. And so then just, just before, just as we were kind of getting ready to pack up, I said, hey, listen, just, just full disclosure, I was asking God for a word of knowledge into your situation because I think there's more going on here than you're telling me. And, 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 the, and the word I got was this, this sentence. And then he was like, put his stuff down and said, we should get another drink. And uh, this is going to take us a while. Do you have time? And he said, the, and then the, the next two hours was him opening up about everything that was going on that was otherwise kept in the dark. And he said, that phrase that you used was exactly the one that I had in my mind as I was driving here to this meeting. And it just, and it unlocked it because he saw like the guy in Spurgeon's church saw and like the people in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25 saw, he saw that the secrets of his heart had been exposed. That is that God knows him. This is why the gift of prophecy can, can work both for our encouragement and our conviction. Our encouragement because oh, I, like no one gets me. No one understands the stuff I'm going through. And then someone speaks to me about the things that I'm going through, and it must have been God that revealed that to them. God knows me. God understands what I'm going through. The same with conviction. I tried to hide. I put it in the dark. Like Jesus says, we love darkness more than light because the light exposes our deeds. We do that and do that and do that, and it starts to calcify. It starts to make us cynical instead of um, joyful. And then the word of a prophet can unlock that by just really showing us the truth that God knows us. And what he wants for us is confession and repentance and forgiveness and new life. So sometimes it looks like that, like a, like a word of, of knowledge given for a specific purpose to encourage and console and, and convict. Sometimes I think this expresses itself... And this is just from my experience. So it expresses itself in this deep empathy for people. Now, the reason this sticks out to me is because sometimes I struggle to feel empathy for people in, in certain situations. Um, I've never experienced it this way, but some people talk about the gift of prophecy being going with a gift of healing in that they can literally empathize with someone's pain they the the person has uh, a bad back and they suddenly feel really sore in their back and it's that like a physical empathy that leads to a prayer for healing I'm I've experienced more just in a in a uh, in a synthesis of of emotional Feelings. So just recently I was at a conference and I was talking to this guy that I didn't know really well, um, but he's a pastor of a church, and I just, the, from the first moment I shook his hand, I felt terrible for him. Like, I, I felt like he was questioning whether he was going to continue in ministry, pastor of a church. And it didn't make any sense to me because his church is really successful. And from the outside, it looks, looks like things are going great. And I felt it, and I didn't say anything about it. And then I went through the whole conference to the point we were saying goodbye. I said, I'm sorry, I just, I need to share something with you. I've been thinking about it the whole time. I can't shake it. 
I just I think God wants to encourage you to keep going. That you're that you're I'm getting emotional thinking about it, that that you're doing a, a a great job, and He just wants you to stand firm, um, and and He wants you to know that He is with you, and He'll never forsake you. And the and the guy just went to bits, and um. And turns out, yeah, he was feeling like he couldn't keep going. And he was feeling like everyone was opposed to him. And he wasn't seeing any of the good things that I was seeing about his church. There's always a danger when the guy up front is talking about all these experiences that we do that thing that Paul's telling us not to do and just project all of the, well, that, all the prophecy stuff. That's on him now. No, he says everyone is to desire this and and while we might do like a little workshop in prophecy or whatever, I've never been to one. I don't have a certificate that said I've done a certificate for in prophecy. Like This is just, and what he says, an eagerness, a receptivity, a desire to exercise these gifts. And God responds. Remember Jesus Even evil fathers don't give their kids snakes when they ask for fish or rocks when they ask for bread. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there's a kind of the word of knowledge thing. There's the the empathy in a certain situation for a certain person. And then there is this foretelling of the future. You can't get away from this. This this happens, and not just in Old Testament prophecy, where it was frequent, but in New Testament prophecy as well. So in Acts um, chapter 11, you got this guy named Agabus. And, And Luke reports, in those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. So you've got someone who's identified as a prophet or someone who has a prophetic gift predicting by the Spirit, this is Spirit-empowered prophecy, that a famine would be throughout the Roman Empire. And then it happens. And Paul sort of remarks on it in a quite unremarkable way. He said it, and it happened. Next. So it's clear. I mean, you can't get away from it. There is this, this aspect, this, this, this side to prophecy that expresses itself in the, the prediction of coming events. So prophecy is revelation. God bringing to mind something to be spoken for the edification, the building up, the consolation, the conviction of God's people. It's revelation, but it's not, it doesn't carry the same weight of authority as God's revelation in the scriptures. God has revealed himself to us in 66 books of the Bible and that book is closed. That book is our final authority. And no word of prophecy has the same level of authority as God's words to us in the scriptures. There are different kinds of revelation. For example, the Bible tells us that God is revealing himself to us in the heavens. Right? Creation is declaring something about God. It's a revelation. 
And I'm saying this is another form of revelation, though not on the same level as God's revelation to us in the Scriptures. Why? Because God's revelation to us in the Scriptures is full and final and not lacking anything, and because prophecy is fallible where the Scriptures aren't. The Scriptures are not. Prophecy is revelation and prophecy is fallible. So here you've got another story in the same book of Acts concerning the same prophet Agabus, the guy who just predicted with accuracy the famine that was coming on the land. And then we read this in chapter 21 of Acts. Here we go. Luke again says... After we'd been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Same pattern, right? He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Same element of prediction. And yet in this case, he's at least in part wrong. Yes, Paul is going to end up imprisoned by the Romans. But it's not actually the Jews who will bind him and hand him over. So it's fallible. Now, the, point, the, the question for us is, what's our response? Should we say, ah, it's a false prophet, let's stone him to death? Or should we say, ah, it's a, that's a prophecy wasn't completely accurate so therefore it can't be revelation or do we say well there's the prophet who got it wrong so we should leave aside prophecy and disobey the command that we've received at the beginning of the chapter each of those options has been pursued by some or we could do the most obvious thing and just see that Agabus prophesied in part Yes, Paul was going to be handed over. No, it didn't exactly happen the way that he saw it. Agabus was a little bit right and a little bit wrong. He prophesied in part. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. You ought never be in a situation where someone comes to you and says, thus saith the Lord, this prophecy that I'm sharing with you is coming with all of the authority of the Holy Scriptures. No. We prophesy in part. Our, our words of prophecy are fallible. Which is why I really like this quote, all right, from a, an, another very, very big commentary by a scholar on the epistle to the Corinthians. He says... Prophecy, as a gift of the Holy Spirit, combines pastoral insight into the needs of persons. So that's what we were talking about, so empathy for people. The needs of persons, communities, and situations with the ability to address these with a God-given utterance. While the speaker believes that such utterances come from the Holy Spirit, mistakes can be made. And since believers, including ministers or prophets, remain humanly fallible, claims to prophecy must be weighed and tested. 
And we need to understand that. If we are to obey this command, if God really wants everyone in this church to obey the command to prophesy, to eagerly desire that gift, then we need to know that, the, that this, this ministry of prophecy is a fallible one and so we need to have a measure of humility. We need to be able to say, I really strongly believe that God wants to say this to you in your particular situation. I could be wrong, but I truly believe that God is saying this to you. We'll talk next week more about how we as a church might weigh and test words of prophecy that come particularly from people in the church for the church at large. But we need to be very clear about this. Two things can be true at once. We are to eagerly desire the revelatory gift of prophecy and we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Which is exactly what Paul says to the, to the church at Thessalonica, right? And we, we're, I'm, I'm planning before the end of the year to preach through 1 Thessalonians, so this will just whet your appetite. It's a beautiful, brilliant book. He says to those Christians and to us this morning, don't stifle the Spirit, or another translation is don't quench the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good. So he knows them in their church, like us in our church, have had some experience with this gift. We're a little bit frightened of it because it's out of our control. We're a little bit wary of it because we've seen people abuse the gift and say, well, 2017 is definitely the year that Jesus is coming. So just stock up on canned goods and firearms. Right? And you see this in, especially in certain parts of America. Thus saith the Lord. We've seen all those things. Paul knows that we're wary of these things. So that's why he says, don't quench the spirit. He knows that, at, especially for those of us who are more conservative, our response to that, any threat, is to try and get away from it. He says, don't. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Well, I saw that go wrong one time, and you know, I was hearing the other day about a couple who were desperately trying to have kids, had been trying for years and years and years, and then someone came to them and said, the Lord says you're going to have twins. And they have never had kids, now beyond childbearing age. And there was no, according to them, there was no sense of humility, no sense of possible fallibility in the word that was given to them. And so their natural inclination, with all of that emotion and feeling betrayed, is to despise prophecy. And Paul says, don't. I get it. I get why you might want to, but please don't despise prophecy. Test all things. Hold on. Hold fast to what is good. And now moving into next week, we're going to really focus in again on chapter 14, but on the side of the the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues or other languages. I just want to finish up with the last couple of verses of chapter 14. He says, So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in other tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. 
What, I, what, I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm, tr- I'm trying to gather us. I'm trying to gather us around a, a central purpose and desire to open ourselves up to being used by God in this way, to speak prophetically to fellow Christians and to the church. I'm trying to do that knowing that some of us despise prophecy and some of us have good reason to. And knowing that some of us believe that these gifts don't even exist anymore. And knowing that some of us overplay these gifts and make them out to be more than they actually are. And some of us have exercised this ministry not with humility but with arrogance. And knowing that we're coming from all these different places, I'm wanting to simply bring us back to the Scriptures and to see that I believe this, the exercise of this gift should be the normal pattern for Christians, for anyone who's been filled by the Spirit. This should be just part of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. This was the great fulfilment of God's promise in the Old Testament. Remember, remember Peter in Acts chapter 2? He stands up and he addresses people who have seen all these believers be filled with the Spirit and start speaking in tongues. And they're like, those guys are drunk. And you know what he says? He says, no, they're not drunk. This is, this is fulfilment. This is, this is an incredible fulfilment of God, God's promise in the Old Testament. Do we have that passage from Acts chapter 2? I think I put it up there. Peter stood up with the 11, right, the rest of the disciples, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. All right? He knows that this whole thing is a bit confusing, a bit wild. He says, pay attention. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, right? We know that we're in the last days, right? All the days from Jesus' ascension to his second coming, last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just prophets, right? Not just special people, not just kings, but all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. When? In the last days. When's that? Now. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I want us to see and anticipate that this is something that God is calling each one of us to and that he desires to work through us in this ministry for the encouragement of his church. All right. I'm going to have to leave it there. Part two is next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the revelation that you've given us in the scriptures. This final authority, this highest court of appeal. We thank you for it. We thank you that we can trust it. We know that whenever we open it, you are speaking clearly to us. And we thank you for the commandments you give to us in the scriptures. Even for commandments that might threaten us, commandments like that to love others 
and to pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Lord, may we receive these commands joyfully, trusting that you're a good father who never gives us anything that's not good for us. And Lord, I pray whether it's in the weeks and months and years or perhaps generations to come, that you would be working mightily and actively and constantly in the people of this church for their good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.